Father, give us you and only you. In your name, amen. Children's Church, you guys can be seated. Children's Church, you are dismissed. Pastor Hubby, thank you. Yeah, I didn't see any of you adults yelling, I got in first, and you came in. Okay. All right. Well, this morning, I've got another message that's on the theme of prayer. Uh, We've been doing the 40 days of prayer, and that was an announcement I guess I forgot to make, was uh, this evening at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary uh, is a time of prayer. So if you want to join for that, that would be great to have you come. And uh, we've been enjoying it to get together and and pray. And after I've finished praying or or preaching on prayer, which will probably be next week, will be the last week because we're finishing up the 40 days, uh, then I will be starting my next series, which is more through the book of the Bible. And I will announce that to you soon. I think I'm pretty close to decision, but I will decide that very soon. So anyway, uh, looking forward to that. It's always exciting to start a new book of the Bible, start working through it. Halfway through, sometimes you feel a little less excited, but you keep staying excited because God's word is so good. So good. So this morning, we're going to have a look at David and some of the things that he prayed about. Uh, And as Brandon mentioned, this song that we sang there, uh, Ever Be, Praise Will Ever Be on Our Lips, is that an Aaron Schuess song? So some of you may not know this, but I'm going to claim him for us because Aaron Schuess is part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. So if you wondered why his songs were so good, that's because he grew up in the CMA. So anyway, uh, he actually he played at our uh, one of our general councils, I can't remember which one. But anyway, he's awesome. But that song comes from Psalm 34, which my uh, preaching professor uh, said was his favorite psalm. And every day before his feet hit the floor, he would quote it, which it starts out by saying, my praise will ever be on the list. Um, So we are going to look at that in a moment. But first we're going to see where it was that David was when he wrote that psalm and one other psalm. And so we're going to look at that. So psalm-worthy faith, that's what we want to have, right? Psalm-worthy faith is faith that trusts so deeply in God's sovereignty that it can honestly communicate every thought to him. Psalm-worthy faith is faith that trusts so deeply in God's sovereignty that it can honestly communicate every thought to him. And a person with psalm-worthy faith has these three qualities and probably more, but they have a relationship with God They have confidence in God's word and faith in God's plan. Now, David didn't wait for others to write psalms about him. His psalms are actually a record of one who had a relationship with God, confidence in his word, and faith in his plan. You know, we talk a lot about relationships, as we should. We talk about relationships in the context of the church, in marriages, with our children, with our community. And we acknowledge that for truly deep and vulnerable and clear communication to happen, we have to have a good, trusting relationship. And when we're not able to address a concern with someone, 
it's often because of communication. It's often said that's the biggest problem in marriages and probably in every other relationship is communication or lack of it. But we're not always able to address the concern because we fear what they might say, how they may react to what we're saying. And so we're acknowledging when we fear that, that our relationship's not that great, is it? If, we, if we're afraid to talk to someone because we're afraid of the response, that's an indication that our relationship is not very strong. On the other hand, if the relationship is not strong, it's normally due to lack of communication. And so we bl- blame bad communication on our relationship's problems, whether at home or at church or at work, but we can't communicate without a good relationship. See, it's kind of like a, a, a circular thing. You have to have a good relationship to have good communication. You have to have good communication to have a good relationship. It's kind of like the dilemma that young people often find themselves in, right? They're going out to find their job, and all the employers want someone with experience, but they won't hire someone without experience, so the inexperienced person is left wondering what in the world they're supposed to do to get the experience, right? It's kind of circular. We want the experience, but you can't have it till you get it, right? Well, you can't have a relationship without communication. You can't have communication without relationship. It kind of keeps going like that. It's one of the mysteries, right? It's a bit of a conundrum or a dilemma or a quandary, whatever you want to call it. You see, you can't have truly great communication without relationship, and you cannot have a great relationship without good communication. The solution for the person who needs experience to get the job is a job that offers training or apprenticeship. And the employer who offers an inexperienced person the opportunity They're taking a risk, in a sense, with their own money, aren't they? Because there's a possibility it won't work out. Or that the person will be incompetent. Or they get trained and go off to the competition. Or, on the other hand, that person might be grateful and have a bond of loyalty to the one who gave them a chance. Relationship and communication must go hand in hand. You can't have a relationship without communication, and communication does not happen without a relationship. Have you got that point yet? That's important. Now, perhaps you're thinking to yourself that you can communicate and not have a relationship. But that's not really true. I could go to a restaurant and place an order, and I don't know the person, right, that I'm taking, that's taking my order. But we do have a relationship, even though it might be very superfluous, It is a transactional relationship. I expect to state my order, pay the money, and receive a meal. Now, it's not a deep relationship. But if I took time to have a short conversation, then that relationship might grow just a little bit. And if I were a regular customer, perhaps over time I would know that person well enough to even develop a friendship. And of course, that's not going to happen at many restaurants today, right? Because now we place all our orders on the app, on the phone, and we simply pick it up. Often we don't even speak to a real person. And companies have decided in the name of efficiency and cost effectiveness and, and even for safety from viruses that it's much better for them if they can get you to place your order on the app rather than actually interacting with a real person. I don't know if I'm the only one that sees an issue with that. It's a problem, kind of, even though I like the convenience. But it's taken away more and more of our interactions with people. We have modern-day hermits living among us. And whether it's for concern of getting sick, for convenience, 
or whatever the reason might be, many people have given up more and more of the personal touch. It's dangerous. There's a reason why hermits in movies and cartoons are always portrayed as crazy. Right? Because that's what happens when you lose all face-to-face contact with real people. When you're so isolated, you get a little weird. Right? So we have to have a relationship to communicate, and we must have communication to have a relationship, but not all relationships are equal. A transactional relationship, like I just mentioned, is normally a very shallow relationship. It's not a marriage. It's not a brotherhood. It's not a sisterhood. It's just lunch, right? If we want to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God, we need to communicate well with him. He greatly desires that. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. He created us to be in relationship to him. He wants to have a great relationship, and that means he wants two-way communication, and that is love. And that means we listen to him. We respond to how he speaks to us through his creation and through his word. And we do that by doing what we are doing now. He speaks to you through preaching. And you need to do this every day by reading his word. You need to speak and listen to him in times of prayer. And he's given us great examples of this in the Psalms. The Psalms show us how a person with a deep relationship with God builds that relationship with faith that can honestly express to him all that we're going through. Our fears, our disappointments, our frustrations, our pain, and also the Psalms show us how we can and must express to God our praise and honor him with our lips. The Psalms are wonderful for a person's prayer life, for helping us to express ourselves to God. And that's why so many people will tell you their favorite verse is the one from the Psalms, or their favorite Bible reading is from the Psalms. So it's important for us to take a look at the Psalms, and as much as they can be meaningful meaningful to us, they could be even more meaningful when we know the circumstances that the writer was going through when those psalms were written. In other words, what was going through the head of the one who wrote the psalm? Now, we don't always know that. Many of the psalms are just by themselves. But some of them, we can know what they were going through at the time because Scripture tells us. And that helps us in sympathizing with the writer. So our first passage here from 1 Samuel 21 gives us a wonderful opportunity to do just that. Because these two psalms were written by David on the day of the events we're about to read. Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, which is the one the song that we sang came from. So let's first look at 1 Samuel 21 to see what David was encountering at the time when he wrote these psalms. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David's his ten thousands. So, and David took these words to heart and was so much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Does that sound dignified for a king? 
Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So the background here is that Gath is about 25 miles southwest of a place called Nob, where David was previously. He traveled from Nob, where Ahimelech, had given him bread, and he also gave him Goliath's sword. Now he goes to the very hometown of Goliath, and he's bringing with him that same sword that he took from Goliath. It's a testament to the facts of the fear David had from Saul that he would seek refuge in that place, which would otherwise be a very terrible place for him to go. Because if anyone hated David... It would have been the people of Gath because David had killed their hero, Goliath. And yet, David felt safer there than he felt waiting for Saul to catch him. It seems David would prefer to be in physical danger rather than deal with the toxic Saul. And so David shows up there at Gath. He's recognized. And those who recognize him pointed out to the king, so he decides to put on a little act. He foams at the mouth. I don't even know how you do that, but he did. He claws at the doors. And we see that sometimes acting like a crazy person is strategic. So David is playing this part in order to save his life. If he acts like a crazy person, then the king won't see him as a threat. And that's just exactly what happened. Not only that, but there's a bit of humor here. Since the king makes this comment about having so many madmen around, he doesn't need another one. This might as well be as close to we get in Scripture to someone saying, I'm surrounded by idiots. Right? Which we would never say. A psalm-worthy faith is a faith that trusts so deeply that God is sovereign that it can honestly communicate every thought to him. And our person with psalm-worthy faith, again, they have a relationship with God, they have confidence in God's word, and they have faith in God's plan. So David didn't wait for others to write psalms about him. His psalms are a record of someone who had a relationship with God, confidence in his word, and faith in his plan. Now, let's look at those psalms. Knowing what David went through that day, we can see how he honestly communicates with God. He has a relationship with God confidence in God's word, and faith in God's plan. So we see at the title of this psalm, it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, that was probably the melody that the words were to be sung to, a mictum of David, that's some kind of musical term, um, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So that's how we know this came from what I just read in Psalm First Samuel 21. So scripture tells us directly what, when this was written. So we know the first thing that was happening here. We just saw how David fleeing from Saul, he went to Nob, then to Gath, and he finds himself in danger there. David just couldn't catch a break at this point. Every time he turns around, someone's trying to kill him. And he's on the run from Saul, the king he was loyal to, not to mention his father-in-law and the father of his dearest friend. But here is David's honest communication with God, verses 1 and 2. 
Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. David's example to us here is that though he already is aware that God knows his thoughts, he's pleading with God. He recognizes his own need to speak these thoughts to God. Someone said to me once that we should never complain to God. If that is the case, then the Psalms would be a poor example to us in our prayers, since they're filled with complaints and frustrations, even frustration against God. But the Psalms are a good example for us, since we can learn that we can speak to God honestly, even in our complaints, without sinning. I think about 40% of the Psalms, if I remember right from Bible College, are imprecatory Psalms. That means the person is actually asking God to punish his enemies through God's active involvement in a current situation. So we can express our frustrations to God, but we must do as David did, and at the same time, we have to have faith that God is sovereign, and he may not answer it the way we'd like. Verses 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? David has stated his frustration and fear. Now he returns to a common declaration he makes again and again in his life that he's going to trust God. Continuing on, it says, All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. We see here that David is now asking God to intervene to the harm of his enemies. Verse 8, you have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You know, Malachi wrote of a book that God remembers in. The scripture speaks of his knowledge of all things, including our intimate thoughts, our hurts, and our disappointments. Verse 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Again, a declaration of faith in God. Verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So we see that David, when it comes to his relationship to God, he wears all his emotions right on his shirt sleeve, doesn't he? He's stressed, he's frustrated, he's fearful, he's angry, and it may seem like a conflict, but even in those thoughts he continually returns to a statue, stature of faith and a stature of praise to God. We see our example in front of us. We can cry out to God with our hurts and our complaints and our fears. And we can ask him to help us in our conflicts. And he indeed 
desires for the type of intimate relationship where we would do that, where we would tell him about the things we're going through and trust him with them. And yet at the same time, we must remember to have faith in him that says, even in the trials, we will trust, not only trust, but even praise. What frustration do you have? Speak out in your time of prayer and tell God. What fears do you have? What hurts? What pains? He knows. And yet he wants to hear from you. And not only silent prayer. There are, those, there are times where that's the case and we pray silently. But speak your prayers out loud to him. Speak as though he hears you. Speak as though he loves you. Speak as though you believe in him. And when you've poured out your heart to him in complaints and hurts and frustrations, always return like David did to a stature of faith that praises God in midst of your trial. I speak often of how the Bible interprets itself, how the Bible offers application of each passage if we would but search for it. Our passage today finds additional meaning and application in the Psalms. Remember, psalm-worthy faith is faith that trusts so deeply in God's sovereignty that it can honestly communicate every thought to him. And a person with psalm-worthy faith has a relationship with God, has confidence in God's word, and faith in God's plan. Now we move to Psalm 34, which is one of my favorite psalms because it was one of my preaching professor's favorite psalms, and he told me he knows best. So... Uh, And he's with the Lord now, so he he definitely gets to sing praises with his lips all day long. Isn't that wonderful? Both Psalm 56, which we just went over, and Psalm 34 were written on the same day. The day that David went to Gath and found himself in danger and acted all cray-cray. That's what the kids say now for crazy. So just in case you're missing. Just got to make myself cool every now and then. He was put out of the city, which was better than being put to death in the city. And David recognized that God was worthy of praise because he continued to protect David. He protected him from Goliath, he protected him from Saul, and he protected him from Achish, the king of Gath. And so David is expressing what faith he has in God, and it is a psalm-worthy faith. He has a relationship with God that he's so at ease with God that he can speak completely honestly and transparently. He has confidence in God's word. And God has given through Samuel that David was to be king. And despite his current situation, David trusts that God's word will come true and that God's plan will be completed. So let's look at Psalm 34, the title here. Of David when he changed his behavior. Remember how he changed his behavior? Acted like a wacko. Before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In the book of Joshua, one of the keys to Joshua's success would be to meditate. And we see the word meditate, and we tend to think that just means we got to think about something really hard, right? If I told you to meditate on something, you'd probably just think, oh, he wants me to sit there and think about it. But if we go back to the biblical languages, when it says meditate, it actually is a word that translates, and it means more like mumble. 
you're, you're saying it over and over. Joshua was to meditate on the book of the law, God's word, day and night. He was told that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. So wouldn't that make sense that you're always mumbling it? If you're in a situation in a store or something and someone's really irritating you, if you mumble some scripture to remind yourself of how you have to act, it might help a little, right? It isn't mere thinking about it or reading silently. It's speaking God's word. And so David says, perhaps he's recalling Joshua here, that he will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or some translations say, will always be on my lips. That was the song we just sang. Your praise shall ever be on my lips. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. We should boast in nothing other than the Lord. And even Paul said he would only boast in his own weakness. Why? Because boasting in your own weakness is an acknowledgement that nothing could get done other than when God intervenes and uses us to his glory. When he uses us weak vessels in his service, we can boast of him, but we better not boast of ourselves. Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify, to grow up, to make strong, to become great or important. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Not only did David have his prayers heard, so we can as well. Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And of course, we condition that with knowing other things that Jesus said, that the Bible teaches us when we pray according to God's will, then those things happen. So that's what we want to be in Scripture for, so that we learn to pray in God's will, as I talked about last week. Back to Psalm 34 and picking back up at verse 5. Those two who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And sometimes people who don't know what we're talking about here, I teach you to fear the Lord. Why would I want a religion where you have to always fear the Lord? Well, it's it's not a fear like we're petrified he's going to punish us even when we do good. It's a, it's a reverence, a desire to serve him. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Sometimes fear of the Lord leaves us trembling in fear of the sin we have committed, and rightly so. But better yet, 
is to have a fear of him in the sense of a healthy respect that would keep us focused on serving him well and winning the battle against sin in our lives. Continuing on in verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Remember the man that was born blind and Jesus healed him? And they tried to say, oh, you're defending this sinner. What do you know? You're in a... You were born in sin, and he said in John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. That was a pretty bold guy, you know? He almost got put on trial just because he got healed. Well, Well, like he had to defend Jesus or something, and he just said, hey, God doesn't listen to sinners, and if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, remember, don't forget the does his will part, Then God listens to him. Verse 16, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How many among us this morning are brokenhearted or crushed in spirit? I have good news for you. The Lord is near. He's near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This is what is known as a messianic prophecy. It's uh, something we find in the Old Testament. Sometimes they're in the Psalms. Sometimes they're in one of the prophetic books. It's something that tells us about the Savior, the Messiah that would come. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them was broken. What did I say? Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So we can find out exactly what this means when we look at John 19. Starting at verse 33, it says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm-worthy faith. Would you like to have psalm-worthy faith? Not that we all could be good at our writing of psalms, right? But a psalm-worthy faith, remember what, it is, what I said it was. It's a faith that trusts so deeply in God's sovereignty that it can honestly communicate every thought to him. And a person with psalm-worthy faith has a relationship with God, has confidence in God's word, and has faith in God's plan. We see once again the beauty of Scripture, how it connects together every part to each other. And here in 1 Samuel, we see this short narrative about David in desperation, taking a chance, realizing he may be in danger, acting like a fool, and escaping with his life. 
Now, by itself, that passage tells us something, but mostly a narrative. But when we look at Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, we see a bit more there. We see in the account of the crucifixion of what David said in Psalm 34 about himself was not intended just for himself, but it was also a predictive prophecy that applies to Jesus Christ. So the connections in Scripture just continue. The more I study, the more exciting it is. And I see how miraculous this book is. Really, the Bible is more than a book, right? We always say that. It's a library. It's 66 books with 40 authors. And the more you study it, the more it reveals to you how in control of everything God was. It shows how well he planned out his redemptive plan for us to be restored in relationship to him. And that's God's communication with us. He wants a relationship with us. And he's given us an amazing set of books in the Bible to communicate his love and his plan for us. God is the creator. And more than any one of us will ever understand, he knows that relationship and communication are inseparable. Deep relationship means deep communication. So sad it is that many people go through their whole life not knowing really how to communicate. Therefore, never having a really deep relationship. There are books written, classes offered, counselors standing by that help people communicate better, and those are all helpful. If any truth is out there, it's God's truth. A secular book on communication can be helpful, but God has given us a better way. Throughout Scripture, he shows us how to communicate, and the Psalms are a big part of that. David has shown us a way to communicate with God himself. So we started with the conundrum. Communication is needed for great relationships, and relationship is needed before we can communicate. So perhaps you feel distant from God relationally. Well, what can you do? Well, in some cases, when we begin a relationship, we're the main talker. When I first dated Janelle, she thought I talked a lot. And over time, I've learned, hopefully, to listen better. Some relationships begin where you're the listener at first. But here's the not-so-secret secret. Whether you're listening or talking, you're communicating. If you feel your relationship with God is not as deep as you'd like, your strategy may be to listen more and talk less. But for others, it may be to talk more and continue listening. You see, if you're listening to God by hearing sermons and teaching, reading the Bible, but never opening your mouth to speak to him, the communication is incomplete. Therefore, the relationship lacks the depth that maybe you crave. On the other hand, you may speak an awful lot to God, but never read his word and never pay close attention to teaching or preaching. And you may need to make more effort to hear him through the means he most often speaks through his people which is through his word. See, a lot of people are out there trying to say, I want to hear from God. Oh, I'm I'm hoping to go on this nature trail or I'm going to go out on the boat or I'm going to do this. I'm hoping to hear from God. If you want to hear from God, read your Bible. And if you want to hear God audibly, Leland says, read the Bible out loud. (laughs) Okay? Or maybe you're in a third category and you don't talk to much 
to, to God and you don't put much effort into finding out what he wants to say to you, but he does desire a relationship with you. But relationship does not happen in a communication vacuum. And good communication must, does not present itself where little or no relationship exists. Rather, they must always be pursued together. This morning, we've looked at one of the all-time greats at communicating with God. We have a look into what is usually a private affair, which is someone's private conversations with God. And we see these beautiful psalms, and for many of them, we can look back in Scripture to see what David was going through when he wrote it. Psalm 51 is another great example of that. After Nathan the prophet confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba, we see how he pleads with God for mercy and confesses his sins without making excuses. There are many examples from David and from the Psalms that we can speak to God. Now, we don't have to be a poet like David. Some of us try. It doesn't work out. We don't need to write down every prayer, although that may be helpful to some of you. But all of us need to continue a lifelong effort to communicate ever better with our God. It's the same for a married couple. It's the same for a lifelong friend. It's the same with business partners. It's the same in the church. If we desire good relationships that are ever-growing in depth and love, we must work on our communication. And our communication with God should be the number one priority of our lives. Psalm-worthy faith, a faith that trusts in deeply, so deeply in God's sovereignty that it can trust him and honestly communicate every thought to him. And that person with psalm-worthy faith, who I hope you desire to be as well, has a relationship with God, number one, has confidence in God's word, number two, and faith in God's plan, number three. David's psalms are a record of one who had a relationship with God and confidence in his word and faith in his plan. May we learn to do the same. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we take a look, Lord, at your servant David, with all his ups and downs, all his flaws, he was a man after your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you've preserved his writings in the Psalms that we can look at him all this time later and still learn. It's amazing, Lord, how you've preserved your word and how you let us explore the depths of your grace towards us through it. Oh, I pray that we'd be people of prayer, Lord, that communicate with you. Lord, psalm-worthy faith, may it be ours. May we be students of your word, Lord, who continually try to go deeper and deeper into the depths of your mercies. Lord, at Oasis Church, may we become known for that in our community and beyond. That we would be a beacon of light to others because of your word coming through our lives. And may Jesus reign in his church. Amen.